Welcome back, everyone, to America Explained with Quinn and Jeffrey. I'm Quinn Reiser. And I'm Jeffrey Walk. Thank you all for taking the time to join us. We'll be here every week with special guests that will include youth activists, local officials, and other remarkable individuals. Joining us today is Nathan Biller. Nathan is a Republican from Wallingford, Connecticut. He ran a campaign simulation as a candidate for president in the National Student Leadership Conference. He'll be attending Colgate University this fall. Welcome to the show, Nate. Hey guys, thanks for having me. So in honor of Memorial Day, we will be discussing the role of the U.S. military and the steps it needs to take to be best prepared to serve the interests of America and our ideals. So Nate, um, I'll first ask you, uh, where do you see the United States global influence today in terms of military strength? In terms of military strength, well, I think it is very clear that we uh, do hold distinction as the strongest military in the history of the world, frankly. And I, you know, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that we sit in a spot where we could realistically defend ourselves from all forces combined across the world. I mean, even take a look at our Navy and Air Force, I think in terms of sheer power and funding, um, they could take on all of, the, all of their foreign counterparts with ease. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, definitely, um, well, it's definitely protecting American assets and our influence. And... I do think it's our. I do think it's our greatest safeguard. For, I do think it's the greatest safeguard of um, you know our security and also our economy. Okay, that was a bit of a right. Sorry about yeah, that. No, that's a, um, yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think we can all talk about. Um, you've kind of uh, adopted you know Roosevelt's big stick policy for protecting American assets, and mm-hmm. um, I I think I would agree with uh, Nate and. And saying that that is um, advantageous for the United States today, but I'm sure, Jeffrey, that you're going to have push back on us with that a bit. I, I mean, I, I agree with the general assessment that the United States military could reasonably defend against the rest of the world combined. Um, I think I, my questioning of it comes more into uh, into effect when we're discussing um, should it. Mm. Um, I think because we've seen we we have the strongest military on earth, but we've been stuck with so many of our um, conflicts in the last in the last half century. Really, have ended up as just absolute quagmires. We like just starting with the Vietnam War. We were in there for almost two decades, and we were unable to leave. And then the moment we actually decided to leave and decided the cost was too great. Um, the interest that we were serving immediately got removed. So I think, um, and then just more recently, our efforts in the Middle East have, outside of the original Gulf War in the Clinton administration, um, these efforts have resulted in just thousands of deaths, many of them by civili- many of them of civilians, and um, and just thousands of lives lost for our troops. And we're no closer to leaving the Middle East than we were when we first entered. Okay, so, so oh, I'll, uh, Jeffrey or Nate, you can go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, when I say that, I, I believe the uh, you know our military is very effective at protecting our assets. It does, that's not me advocating for interventions of any sort. I mean, I think our military is very necessary. You know, even at the strength it's at, uh, but you know. There are many cases where I think it has been improperly used, where we have gone out of our way to start conflicts that, at the end of the day, didn't really serve our best interests. I mean, you take a look at the uh, Vietnam War. That was, you know, that did, 
uh, we really uh, created a problem that couldn't be solved with military strength. I mean, we were going against, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of, I mean, you know, as everyone likes to say, we were going against a bunch of rice farmers who, uh, you know, barely even had paramilitary training. And we still left for one simple reason. Uh, the American people didn't want to be trapped there fighting a proxy war just for the sake of stopping communism. You know, we, I, I really do think that we, uh, you know, throughout history, we have uh, made a lot of errors in, in not um, analyzing, you know, the cost and the benefit of different conflicts. Uh, and I do think that, you know, uh, you know, Afghanistan, just like that, you know, uh, is just like that today. Uh, you know, for me, I, I think that um, it safeguards interests more as a deterrent than anything else. And that, you know, uh, going offensively with it or starting conflicts that didn't exist before, I don't believe that does us any I'll, good. I agree with you there. I'll, I'll push back against that idea. When you talk about Vietnam, our biggest problem is that we instituted a government that was not going to um, last. We instituted a leader, um, DM, who was a, um, a Catholic in a Buddhist-majority country and mm-hmm. did not respect the, the farmer population of the nation. And when the Vietnam War started, he was killed, and we actually were part of the insurrection against him. So mm-hmm. I, at that point, what are we supposed to do when these conflicts are not going to solve themselves? Because in Vietnam, we're still, there's still a civil war. In the Middle East, it's not as simple as the United States goes in and starts conflict. There's constant proxy wars between Saudi Arabia and Iran over Iraq because of the Sunni-Shia split in the region. It's not as simple as the United States is starting conflicts. The United States is trying to uh, um, institute governments that are going to reflect the values of their citizens. We haven't always been great at that, but I do believe that is important that we're uh, mediating these conflicts. Of course, and I do actually partially agree with you there. Um, you know, the implication wasn't that, you know, we're going in there, you know, uh, and causing unrest in a country that never had any conflict. I mean, obviously, there's a lot going on in Vietnam, just like there's a lot going on in Afghanistan. You know, I think there would have been significant problems if we weren't there. And I, I do agree with you to that extent. Um, however, you know, it's not as simple as, you know, create, um, creating a new government all from scratch. Uh, we can, you know, give it American values, but that doesn't necessarily make it compatible, uh, you know, with the cultures of a country that have stood there for, you know, centuries. I mean, even take a look at Afghanistan. You know, we went in there and we crippled the Taliban. Uh, they went they went from a governing body to really just you know a bunch of terrorist splinter cells. But they're still not gone because they have more popular support than they would if, if they existed here. Uh, so you know that's why I believe that the military is best used as a deterrent. Um, you know, I I don't think that there's I don't there, I do think there are some problems that you really just can't beat out of the country. I yeah, I definitely agree with you there. On that vein. Uh, I'd like to just ask you, Nate, um, mm-hmm. what do you see our role um, in the Middle East being in the immediate future? Because we've seen, um, I want to say it was, oh, it was the, was not the Cato Institute. I want to say it was, it was, an, it was a, like a sister organization to the Cato Institute that mm-hmm. uh, determined that at the rate that we're going with um, accounting for variation, um, and they calculated this to 2050 because they didn't expect us to leave the Middle East until like before then, that mm-hmm. the our conflicts in the Middle East would cost us more than $7 trillion. So I wanted to see where do you see our our role being most effective in the Middle East? So do you mean where I think it's going to go or where I think it should go? Uh, either one. All right. So 
know, I, I do think it's very hard to predict what, the, what America is going to do or what's going to happen to us uh, in or from the Middle East, especially because, you know, you know as, as influential as government is, it goes through a lot more radical changes than other nations, largely because, you know, I mean, you know, our, our administrations last for so ridiculously short. I mean, our policy now could change, you know, as soon as November, if not in four years. So I think it's very hard to predict what we're actually going to do. Um, you know, I think we can assume that we're going to try to protect our values in some way. And I don't think it's realistic that no matter who we get, we're going to you know, withdraw from the Middle East. So, you know, I, I do expect there to be some pretty significant costs like you were talking about. Um, really, I'm just, I'm just curious about what we're going to do with, uh, with you know, how we're going to uh, maintain our alliances in the region. Uh, you know, for instance, we have, we have a lot of very strong ties to uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, but right now we're going through a bit of a rocky path with you know our NATO allies like Turkey, as uh, well as you know, some proxy militias that we've relied on for a long time, such as the Syrian Defense Forces, who we effectively cut ties with, uh, you know, only a few months ago. Uh, so I think we would be. Now, I do think it's a bit of a conundrum because I don't think it's very easy, you know, instituting uh, brand new governments there. But at the same time, I do believe we need to have allies in the region who have more vested interests in these conflicts than we do. Uh, so, truthfully, I, I think that we should be uh, doing our best to make sure our allies can hold down the fort in our stead and, you know, begin to uh, pull our troops out of there as soon as possible. I mean, uh, that's, that's, that, is what, uh, that is definitely what I believe in. I, um, uh, so yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with you there. And frankly, looking at Iraq, um, so the, the government led by uh, Bashar al-Assad is a Shia... Um, Sorry, yeah, Shia, Shia-led government in a Sunni-majority nation, and mm-hmm. we effectively therefore have a um, an occupying force in a country. And mm-hmm. I don't think the solution is well, let's just leave and let the problem solve itself, even though that's more expedient for the United States. Mm-hmm. And I understand that this is kind of cost us a lot, but the problem—I don't know that this is a problem that will solve itself. Um, I think we're still, I do believe that, you know, like you said, it's valuable to uh, maintain our alliances to um, uh, Saudi Arabia and Turkey. But I don't know that if, if we leave the region, who enters, you know, who's going to, who's going to solve these conflicts? Did you mean Syria instead of Iraq? I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, you're right. All right, go on, Nate. Sorry. All right. So, what was I going to say? <laughs> um, all right. I do. I, so, when you say who's going to come in next, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about you know the other big power players, uh, Russia and China, mm-hmm. uh, and that is actually one of my bigger fears. I mean, specifically with Russia, who's you know been very close to Turkey, and they re- they really slipped into Syria after we left the Syria, after we left uh, you know the Kurdish militias there. So, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, so. I still do believe that you know instead of occupying it ourselves, we can fend them off with uh, you know with a web with sort of a uh, web security. You know, for instance, uh, NATO. Um, I do think you know, while they haven't been as active as they were intended to be, uh, they have done a very good job at organizing sanctions and also you know um, and also you know really forming alliances and partnerships with countries that Russia would compel. Uh, I don't think that we have to have a massive presence uh, presence there in you know a very direct sense uh, to keep them from swooping in. And, you know, also, um, just a uh, no, uh, side note, so, uh, I, you know, 
as, as with anything, I do think that we need to, uh, you know, really perform a cost-benefit analysis before we make any sort of military action there. And, you know, even if somebody were to swoop in, I don't know that we have enough of a vested interest in a lot of these nations where we're stationed uh, to justify really any sort of military action. I mean, you know, for the longest time, you know, uh, one of one of our ambitions was, was uh, you know, securing, a, a, you know, the trade of fossil fuels, stuff like that. But now these are a lot of things that are being produced here in the United States. I mean, for instance, for, instance, for the first time in forever, the United States is a net producer. Uh, that's one of the things I uh, am pretty happy about from the Trump administration. They have been pretty good with the energy sector. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if, if, if relying on the Middle East for all these resources, if, if that's what we do, I mean, how is that going to impact domestic industries here? Maybe we'd be better off, you know, letting Americans thrive and, you know, not trying to, um, not trying to squeeze resources out of a country across the sea. I, I understand where you're coming from with that, but at the same time, I think those those nations have a vested interest in their own of squeezing those resources out just because um, like a lot of the smaller states and now some of the really large ones in the area like Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. um, have spent a lot of their oil resources diversifying in recent years so that they don't get absolutely ruined when the uh, when the inevitable when inevitably oil, um, stockpiles do run out and yep. uh, reserves. Oh, yeah. um, but at the same time, a lot of the less well-off countries like uh, Iran, or not Iran, Iraq, Iran to a lesser extent, um, some of the smaller countries in the region that do rely on oil imports, um, we need to, I think, as opposed to a military influence, we need to help them diversify and give them kind of a more gentle diplomatic approach in order to actually build a relationship with them. And I think our military presence there has has actively hurt our efforts to do that. In what happens regions. when these diplomatic efforts fail, though? What happens when, um, for example, ISIS um, takes control of, you know, wages on, on Aleppo and takes um, – has such a large – uh, influence in a region are we supposed to let stand idly by and let these conflicts produce i mean i understand i i think our, the, the point of our conflict should be to end conflict and i don't think anyone is saying that um that's not uh, our current goal even though it's not you know being very effective but i do think military action is sometimes necessary to prevent hostile re- regimes from um you know sprouting and uh, mm-hmm. hurting our own citizens. If I could answer, answer this one. So um, I do think that, uh, you know, I think that a lot of times military action often creates more hostility than there was before. And I think ISIS was actually a pretty interesting example because I think there are many who argue that they, ne- that they never would have existed or have been as powerful as they are today if we didn't create a power vacuum by taking out Saddam Hussein. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these governments, they're very inefficient, they're very corrupt, they're immoral in every possible sense. But at the same time, they do keep worse influences in check. Uh, so I don't. So that's why that's why I don't think like you know we can just prep. Uh, that's why I don't think that we can force these countries to change or you know force these bad influences out of there because there's always something worse down the road. And and, and another example, you know, we look at Iran today. They're probably our, our biggest threat that's hailing from the Middle East. Uh, you know, I mean the current government, the current government right now uh, was facilitated by a coup with American uh, with American support back in the fifties. It served our immediate interests then, but eventually, after time, they turned hostile, and well, now we've got the mess we're dealing with right now. Right. I yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. the The foreign intervention and the takeovers that we've seen 
the military use have been have been oftentimes very detrimental to us. Um, yeah, yeah, I think my my argument was more that it's more important for us to, uh, in a lot of these cases, diplomatically um, work with these countries, even if they're not perfect bastions of freedom and democracy as we'd like to consider it. I think the the use of a purity test to decide whether or not we invade a country or uh, or help them diplomatically is not our best interest there. I think we need to deal, unless they're actively hostile to us in every way, I think it's important that we reach out diplomatically before we do anything militarily. Right. I, I do agree with you there. I mean, I always well, think... Um, oh, sorry. I'll, oh, I'll, you know, I'll um, hop in really quick. I don't know that... I think it's, I understand what the point you're making, but I think it's a little oversimplification to say that the United States is simply invading and overthrowing regimes because they don't meet our purity test. I think that's maybe that was maybe more true um, in the Cold War era when we were actively fearing um, the growth of socialist uh, nations. But today, I mean, when you, you talk, mentioned Saddam Hussein and how that may have created ISIS, um, and then, mm-hmm. I mean. The human rights violations by Saddam Hussein, you know, ethnic cleansing and genocide. I don't know that we can, our our solution to just be, um, you know, try uh, ask him nicely not to do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there we have to kind of use our influence, use our when we have all this immense power, um, and we believe in our system. We have to at least encourage these nations even forcefully to act in a way that's going to benefit, you know, human rights. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not advocating that every country um, that doesn't meet uh, our democratic standards needs to be overthrown. But when such egregious violations of human rights occur in a region and when governments arise that are in direct contrast to the, the wills of their people, I think it is the role of the United States to stand up for who cannot defend themselves. All right. Now, I, I, you know, I do agree with you. There are sometimes we simply have to step in. And these, this has been the, there have been many cases like that for history. You know, for instance, I mean, probably the most obvious example would be when we, uh, you know, uh, when, well, would be when we, uh, you know, stepped in during World War One, and, you know, even, even when we fought the Nazis, although though they technically declared war on us, you know, still a good example of when we really need to step in. Uh, but, you know, we, we do have to be careful because a lot of these presidents who commit these terrible, horrible offenses, I'm with you there, they're terrible, yeah. um, they, they had the popular support of their people. Uh, and, you know, take, and again, let's look, let's look at you saying, um, you know, the... ISIS, after they, after they took over, they racked up almost an identical body count to him in only a short few years. Um, you know, uh, you know, and meanwhile, it took him more than tw- uh, more than twenty. You know, I think there are people a lot a lot more dangerous out there than these. You know, uh, than these. You know, villains that we see in power now. Um, and you know, the problem is, uh, the problem is, it's not just as simple as dealing with a government and dealing with an ideology, it's dealing with a, with, a, with an idea, a belief. Uh, these are things that you can't, you know, forcefully remove from the people. I, I, also, I also think that, you know, in cases like this, you know, it's a, a, a slow and painful process. The, the only way to stop this is really to show these people what they're missing out on. I mean, take a look at Iraq. They had a uh, they had a pretty totalitarian government of their own a while back. But, you know, they, I mean, 
they removed from power. I mean, once the people, you know, started to, started to begin uh, to adopt, you know, Western ideals when they, uh, you know, wanted a peace of our economy. I mean, it's almost it's almost the same as when, you know, um, West Berlin tried to, uh, sorry, East Berlin tried to separate itself from the Soviet Union. Um, you know, it's, you, you can't solve an ideological battle with brute force. That just hasn't worked throughout history. I'm not, I mean, um, I'll, Jeffrey, you're welcome to jump in here, but I, I don't think, that just because the a nation does not subscribe to Western ideals, then th- that it is um, uh, contrary to what we need to, uh, you know, our our goals. Um, because mm-hmm. I mean, Saudi Arabia. I don't think anyone, no one, is advocating that Saudi Arabia is a nation that we need to um, that is ripe for regime change, despite their um, anti-Western ideals. It's only the most. Agree- I mean, I think you're agreeing. What is what you know? What's the? I'm only focused on the the egregious examples of violations of human rights. It doesn't. And in, and um, mm-hmm. when those you know violations occur, uh, I think the United States needs to um, to be there. Jeffrey, do you, what do you have to say about that? I uh, I definitely think that that's uh, a fair assessment. Um, I think, however, that we need to, we can't just go in and uh, completely enact regime change. I think a lot of times if we can force somebody to stand before like a tribunal or something, that would, that's generally preferable because it shows a, it shows respect for their sovereignty without leaving them off the hook. And um, it, it generally provides them with a better um, just generally provides the citizens with fewer reasons to actively despise us and our roles in their governments. Well, um, I'll quickly say, I don't know that every time um, violations have occurred, we're already searching for regime change. I think there's been plenty of examples of the United States trying to diplomatically solve these conflicts uh, with Saddam and um, in, you know, in Iran and Iraq. I, I don't I don't think that um, the United States' first instinct is always to topple governments. I mean, it has happened, but I don't think that's our first because it's expensive and it requires lives to be sacrificed. I don't think the United States takes that lightly. Yeah, no, like I'm not so you know I, I I definitely am not like so naive that I actually think like you know the United States is you know just the 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 uh, you know, great Satan or whatever it's called. I mean, <laughs> I, my head, but anyways, uh, <laughs> look, I don't think, you know, it's the super villain of the 21st century. Right? I, 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 I firmly believe we live in the greatest nation in the history of the world. Uh, you know, I mean, and, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that we're being, you know, led into wars by people who want to start wars for the sake of it. I just think our issues is that, you know, we sometimes feel, you know, sometimes feel rushed except for lapse of judgment and sometimes try to solve long-term problems with short-term solutions. I mean, you know, it really just comes down, I mean, for me, it's not even about respecting these nations or trying to be nice. It's it's always about protecting American assets and doing what's, what's the best interest of our people and our security. And, you know, I just think that we have made a lot of, you know, mistakes where we rushed in or we rushed into the battlefield and, you know, it really backfired on us. And, you know, that's why I do think that we should be more patient with these things and why we, uh, you know, really should, tr- and why we really should try to use, you know, um, you know, not just uh, diplomatic negotiations, but even economic weapons, like, you know, sanctions before we, 
you know, really, um, you know, start levying around our military force. Um, you know, I, I, um, I also, a uh, little off topic from, from the, uh, you know, uh, from the last thing you said, but, you know, going a bit earlier to, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, I do think that's an interesting example. I mean, you know, they do obviously harbor a lot of, uh, anti-Western ideals. Uh, they, you know, um, uh, their, their government, or at least, you know, their culture is very similar to a lot of the, um, a lot of the countries that we're at odds with right now. Uh, but, you know, I do think that they operate in the same way that, you know, we should be. And it's that they ally with people uh, based on the best interests of their people and, you know, their assets. Uh, you know, they're, yeah, they're like, they're not like uh, any anti-American deals they have. They're not letting that impede our relationship. They're doing what's best for them. All right. Well, I think we're uh, just about out of time. Um, but at this point, uh, I'd like to thank everyone out there for staying with us. Thank you, Nate, for joining us. Um, make sure to uh, join us our next episode will drop um, Friday we'll uh, be doing a weekend update and then we'll also be or a weekly update and then we'll also be dropping um, another episode about another issue for all you guys so thank you guys for showing up